The Quarter Horse was not a gay bar. It had a front room where you could order drinks, mostly frequented by older, straight, white men. And in the back was a pool table, where the lesbians hung out. Mary Capps used to go there with her friends. So anyway, one day we go to the Quarter Horse, and there was a sign on the front window that says, This is not a gay bar. <laughs> Stay out. <laughs> So, of course, we went in, <laughs> played a couple games of pool, and left and didn't go back, but, you know. Welcome to Last Call, an oral history of New Orleans' disappearing dyke bar scene. When Mary and her friends left the quarter horse, they didn't have to look back. A network of bars was opening in and around the French Quarter that catered specifically to lesbians. By the 1970s, you could hit several dyke bars in one night, all within a few blocks of each other. Marty Youngblood gave us a little geography lesson. Oh, you didn't exist if you didn't bar hop. You know, you just bar hop all evening. And at that time, Vicky's was on Ursuline. And he turned to the right on Ursuline. And there was another bar right there. I'm trying to think of the name. And then he went on down to Cater Street, away from the courthouse. And he turned on Ursuline, and then Alice was right there on Ursuline. And then he went on down a couple of blocks and turned back to the left on Rampart. And he went to Miss Kitty's. And then eventually another gay woman opened a bar down the street from Kitty's named the Soul Dove. So you just kind of made the circle kind of, you know, triangular really, and you hit all those bars in one night. So, And that's pretty much where the most of the, uh, or a lot of the political stuff was going on. Because you felt safe in the bars, especially Alice's, you could talk. Oh, most people met at bars, and it was very common. That's the only place we met. Or, as Alda Talley so poignantly puts it. I mean, that was the center of everything. The center of everything. In that statement, a small network of seedy-looking corner bars becomes an underground system of sanctuary. A secret geography of pool tables and cigarette ash, buzzers on the door, mafia-controlled jukeboxes. This is part one of our mini-series, highlighting the three most talked about bars from all of our interviews. There were as many as a dozen bars open between the 60s and the 90s. However, certain spots became staples in the community or were regularly party central. Today, we'll hear about Brady's, the oldest of the three we are covering in this series. To kick us off is Liz Simone. Brady's was her first dyke bar. She went there with her friend Becky from high school. Becky was at the bar ordering drinks and I said, I gotta go pee. And she said, well, the restrooms are back there. So, um, you know, I, I was nervous. I was really nervous, but I go into the bathroom and, um, you know, both stalls are, um, are closed and um, lo and behold, the first stall comes open, the door swings bang, right open and out comes this burly looking person. It's Brady. 
you know, and, and she's, you know, the, the typical of a, you know, this, this butch woman, and I'm like, I have no idea, you know, I, I, I like, I have no idea what's the etiquette, I have no idea what's the protocol, I have no idea, do they pick you up in, in, in the bathroom, uh, <laughs> is it okay, uh, what should I do, I'm like freaked out, I'm very young, I'm not even 21 yet, and I just stand there, and she just looks at me, and she goes, it's free, <laughs> like, you can go pee, <laughs> I felt like an ass, and of course, I went and pee and felt like an ass the whole time, <laughs> and came back out, that's the first time I ever saw Alice Brady, you know, but she was sweet. She was a sweet woman. Really sweet woman. Oh, Lord, that Nazi. <laughs> did, they, did someone call her a Nazi? We've heard she's strict. This is Mela Zama. She was on the scene in the 80s, and she was party champion of the world. She had a big run. You know, she had her own way of protecting her establishment and her you know, the people that came in. That's who Alice Brady was. Uh, did they tell you how she dressed? No. Oh, Lord have mercy. Was Alice, was Alice Brady, was she the one who was like pretty butch but would wear a skirt? Here's Mary again. Alice Brady looked like Julia Child. <laughs> she had the little white ship and shore blouse type uh-huh. thing and a kind of slightly A-line skirt uh-huh. in navy blue or black. That's how Alice dressed until Anita Bryan came to town and there was the big march against uh, Anita Bryan. And, uh, and the next night, Brady shows up in jeans and a ship and short blouse. And from then on, she wore jeans or sometimes, even, I think, overalls. But until that point, she was wearing skirts. Yeah, she yeah. did. Yeah. And, um, well, can I just interject? So here's a quick history lesson we got from Alda. Before the mid-70s, it was very unusual to find women's pants in a New Orleans department store. You could not go in a department store and buy women's pants, except sometimes pedal pushers. Mm-hmm. But you just couldn't do that. And you couldn't wear them places. Like, they wouldn't let you in a restaurant pants. But she wore the same thing all the time. She looked like someone, like a warden or something. <laughs> and she did her thing. She stood at that door and she watched everybody come in and out. She wasn't there, you know, she was looking out after everybody in her place. Brady's was very popular for a long time. And uh, it was really probably the ball of choice for for most of the people I knew when it was open on Rand Park. And it was fairly nice. Um, what, does, what does nice mean in terms of a, of a lesbian? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a dive. Vicky's was a dive. Mm-hmm. Vicky's was, you know, I mean, you couldn't see real well in there because it was dark, which was probably a good thing. You know, I would never have drunk anything out of a glass at Vicky's. Mm-hmm. You know, ask for the can or the bottle and open it yourself, you know. <laughs> it's just like it was a dive. Brady's 
was clean and had some lights on and um, no, it, it was an old French Quarter building, so it was a nice building. Ellen Rabin, however, was a business owner herself. She opened one of the first restaurants in the Marini Triangle. And to her, Brady's was, well... Not something you'd be proud of. <laughs> kind of seedy and dark and, you know, nothing, no class to it at all. very strict rules, no dancing, no touching, no kissing, no nothing, so, you know, everyone got evicted almost every night from the bar for breaking all the rules. Um, and, uh, and those rules were there because? Well, because I was, didn't want the bar closed by the cops and to get arrested and to have all of us get arrested and things like that. And um, so it was not a friendly, gay-friendly environment in, in the city then. More bluntly, it was dangerously homophobic. You know, um, always looking over your shoulder to see if the door was going to open and, you know, Somebody was going to come in that knew somebody that went to school with somebody that, uh, you know, it was it was rough. You know, there, there wasn't a, you didn't feel free uh -huh. to do what you wanted to do because the consequences could be really, really, really bad. Mm -hmm. you know. Those consequences were often as extreme as being arrested getting your picture printed in the paper, losing your job, not to mention jeopardy to personal and familial ties. Police would often ask for proof of employment, the assumption being that women gathering in this way were actually prostitutes. So lots of women just carried a pay stub when they went out. Then Alice Brady moved her bar from Rampart Street to uh, a little uh, side street down by Decatur Street. And that bar was a little bit better because it wasn't on the main drag. You didn't bump into as many people as, you know, the bar in Rampart Street, anybody could walk into. So it's the 60s. You own a lesbian bar. You want to keep your business safe. You want to keep your clientele safe. What do you do? Alice Brady went for the only insurance policy available to gay bar owners at the time. Brady's bar wasn't rated because she was in with the right people. Hmm. You know, uh, Brady knew people. Who were the right people to be in with? Uh, the Mafia. Carlos Marcella. Hmm. You know, he was, um, he would let you open a bar and, you know, you'd give him a cut of the money and he protected you, you know, and that's the only way you could really have a, a nice place. Well, I was in Brady's one afternoon, a weekday afternoon, and I think I was the only person in, there was a bartender, 
and Brady and Kitty were getting plastered at the bar. And I sat a few stools away from them at the bar. And they were talking about, they were, they were just talking about the his, their, their own experiences running bars in New Orleans and all the payoffs they had to do. And they would name police officers and mafia figures. I mean, they had to pay off in both directions, you know. It was just ridiculous. And, but you just imagine what they went through to try and provide this um, for people in the community. Dykes from all over the city went to Brady's. Just everybody knew Brady. You know, every lesbian, I think, in the city. When Brady opened her bar, she provided one of the few safe spaces in the city for lesbians to gather. And so everyone, at least everyone in the white lesbian community, knew her name. Soon, other bars would rise in prominence. Bars that offered safe space for women of color. Bars that didn't have so many damn rules. In our next two episodes, we'll hear stories from Charlene's and Les Pierre's. Two bars that took on popularity and importance in the scene. For now, let's end with a toast to Alice Brady. The tough butch in a navy blue skirt and ship and shore blouse. She passed away in 2012 at age 84. Thank you for listening to Last Call. Today you heard from Mary Capps, Alda Talley, Marty Youngblood, Liz Simone, May Lazama, and Ellen Rabin. This podcast is produced by Rachel Lee, Free For All, and Peter Bowling, with original music by Free and Peter, and interviews by Rachel Lee, Sarah Pick, Bonnie Gable, and Hannah Pepper Cunningham. Last Call's core organizers are Rachel Lee, Bonnie Gable, Aaron Roussel, Bear Iber, Blue Rain, and Sarah Pick. Stay tuned to lastcallnola.org for future episodes, bonus pieces, and for information about the theater project to which this podcast is a companion piece.